0: that's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Group void We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You are listening to the good news with Angie
1: Austin. Find the podcast of past shows at angieaustinradio.com. Now, here's Angie Austin with the good news.
2: Hey there, friend. It is Angie Austin with the good news. We have a great team here today. We have Suzanne Simpson here all week. She is a licensed therapist and a speaker and an author And her business is Renewed Life Counseling. So welcome back, Suzanne. Thank
1: you. It's always fun to be here.
2: Yeah, we love having you. Yeah, you've been in several times. Mm -hmm. Eric Raymer is here, my frequent co-host and fill-in host as well. Hello, friends. How are you? I'm really doing well, thank you. You know, it's a
3: good day to be alive.
2: It is. I love today to be alive. Also, Rachel Maines is here, radio host. Gosh, you you and Eric have so many handles. You're a radio host, and you also are branding people now. You're branding me and rebuilding my website, which is beautiful. I love what you chose. Pardon me. Oh, we need a little volume here. Yep. There we go. There we
4: go. Woohoo. Yeah, I'm so here. excited. I'm, I'm excited, so excited for you to brand
2: me as well. I hope I'll yeah. have a good brand. You a great brand, Angie. <laughs> it's gonna be a fun, vibrant brand. <laughs> oh, Angie that's right so. Angie, all right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what you should have on there too is a picture of me napping. Because that's something <laughs> okay. I've taken up in the last few years i realized. I was thinking, you know, I didn't nap when I was younger, but I'm definitely I nap every day now. And then I've I've consulted all the good news team and I think I'm the only one who naps I was every say, day. Can you teach me that? Yeah, Ooh, I mean Terry nice. Fisher. That's I really don't even jealous, think she naps actually. at night. I don't, I don't even th- think she naps no, like. No. Yeah, Terry's I mean, I nap at night. <laughs> yeah, and I mean there aren't many people that. Yeah, I mean I, I have a lot of friends with a lot of energy, and my stepmom told was talking about my dad in his mid 80s he just passed away this summer. How much energy he always had. She goes, "You must be just like your dad." And I was embarrassed to say that like. Dad wasn't napping, but but I am. And I'm like, what, how, what, what, how does this bode for my future? You know, this doesn't bode well for my, for there my are 80s. There things know, sleep. I think it's very healthy. Am, am I right, Suzanne? Right. <laughs> you know. No, I actually, I think napping is a good thing. Yeah. I think d- it clears my <laughs> mind from how many topics, like on the morning show, it's three hours of a lot of topics and a lot of experts. So when I'm done, I kind of want my brain to be quiet and I don't want to talk and I don't want to take in information. Sure.
3: Yeah, and, and it should also be said that your your other show, the morning show that you're talking about, uh, is early. Yes. Right? And yes. You, you get
2: up early to do yes, this. Yes, and thing. I'm not a morning person. Right. Yes. Yeah. My so co-host says that I'm like normal. a car, an old car on a cold day that I'm like, <laughs> rah, 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 in the morning. You know, I'm like, is it That's, that's how bad? I
5: feel in the morning,
2: you- too.
5: <laughs>
4: I'm not a morning person either.
2: A lot of people that join us on the a morning show as guests, they pop out of bed like with birds on their shoulders, mm-hmm. and I like I pray to be that person, you know uh, that you know little bluebirds they're chirping and I did the three a.m. wake up out.
3: call for a year and uh, mm-hmm. in the morning show, no thank you, it, you know it's I, tough. is not. I isn't graduated it? to the afternoon drive. Yeah,
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, thrilled to have Suzanne here and Rachel Maines and Eric, just really blessed to have such a wonderful team. Uh, You guys know I have a a heart for foster care and I I was for a short period of time in foster care and I lived with relatives at different times during my childhood. And I really have a soft spot for kids who feel like they've done something to not get the love that they are supposed to unconditionally have. And you know, kids are oftentimes collateral damage uh, of damaged parents that um, have their own problems and aren't able to love and care for their children. And so um, I'm gonna let producer Nicole introduce our good news story. And it has to do with um, uh, adoption and siblings. And that's another thing that's close to my heart. Like when siblings get separated, It's like, oh, goodness, you've already lost your parents, and then we're going to separate you Mm -hmm. from your siblings. That's something that a lot of people in that arena feel very strongly about, trying to keep siblings together. So give us the lowdown, Nicole. So this is actually just a really cute story. It's about a, a dad. Well, I guess he wasn't a dad, but he found this kid to foster and adopt, and he just kept going and created a whole family. It's National Adoption Month and thousands of kids in foster care are waiting to be adopted into permanent loving families. Tonight, Steve Hartman's on the road with a single dad and his ever-growing family.
1: When 48-year-old Lamont Thomas became an empty nester, it was the end of a parenting legend. Back in 2001, this divorced father of two took on a foster kid named Michael Perez. He was a good young man, you know, and I I just hated
4: to see him in the system.
1: Eventually, Lamont adopted Michael, who now works as a nurse.
4: I don't believe that I would be the person that I am today uh, without the morals that he instilled in me, the family, the extended family that I have now.
1: How extended is that
4: family? (laughs) Uh, I tell you, if I had enough fingers and toes to count...
1: Turns out, Michael was just the beginning. That's Marcus. Over the next 15 years, Jamie. Lamont fostered more than 30 kids here in Buffalo, New York. Herman, And adopted five of them. JJ. And again, he did this all on his own and with all of his heart. Every child that I have had, it was my goal to make a difference in their life. You fell in love with these kids, huh? Yeah. Proud of them. And you retired from fostering? I did. Go fishing? Oh yeah, did plenty of fishing. Trips? Love all of that. Of course, we wouldn't be here today if that was still the case. Yes, sir. It really was a shocker. I didn't expect
4: for him to restart um, and to do it all over again. It's just amazing.
1: Today, Lamont is back in the game in a big way. Not long ago, he took on five siblings, all under the age of six. Major, are you eating books? Lamont, who works as a caterer, says he did have other plans for these years. I didn't think it was this. But those plans have now been shattered with mayhem.
4: When was the last time you went fishing? It wasn't this summer.
1: Yes. LAMONT DECIDED TO FOSTER ALL FIVE AFTER HE FOUND OUT THEY WERE GOING TO BE PERMANENTLY SPLIT UP Yes. AND TO GUARANTEE THEY STAY A FAMILY, okay. LAST MONTH, HE ADOPTED THEM. VERY GOOD. YOU ARE HEREBY ADOPTED. I HAD TO HELP THEM. THEY DESERVE TO BE RAISED TOGETHER. FORTUNATELY, LAMONT HAS A GREAT SUPPORT SYSTEM THROUGH CHURCH AND FRIENDS AND HE'S NOT OPPOSED TO ADDING A WIFE TO THE MIX should such a saint exist. Don't lick my mirror, please. But if not, he's also fine going it alone for as long as it takes to make the difference. Have you calculated when the last one's gonna be out of high school? We got a lot of years to go, but it's all right. It's all good. Lamont Thomas, definitely all good. Mm -hmm. Steve Hartman on the road,
3: in Buffalo. Did I hear him say, don't lick
2: this? Don't lick my mirror. <laughs> <laughs> but that's life I with that, that many kids. <laughs> really. He's probably got to be on guard every second. <laughs> I th- so I'm so touched by that story that he wanted to keep those siblings together. And that also it really um, struck me that he has uh, uh, a great support network, including his church, because that reminds me to mention uh, Foster Together Again. Um, and Foster Together Uh, Let's say you don't want to be a foster parent, but you're interested in it. You help another foster family. You might make dinners or get the kids shoes or take the kids to church. So fostertogether.co, that is a friend of the show, Hope Forty, who lost her husband, Kyle Forty, just last year. Mm. And uh, she was pregnant at the time, and they have a couple of children. And so she kept foster together going even after losing her young husband last year. They were a young couple. And Foster Together is um, helping foster families and children. And basically, it's just like, look, you want to foster, but you're scared to do it? Well, we've got people who come alongside you and help you. And I'm just blown away that this single dad took in five kids. Yeah,
3: you know, breaking stereotypes left and right. You know, single dad, first of all, rarely do you think of a a man going in that direction, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, for, For one, much less five. Why? and uh, it just goes to his heart. You could hear the emotion in, in the bit. You could. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I thought
1: it was so cute, and he's like, he's not opposed to a wife. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. so cute. <laughs> I thought that was great <laughs> that he could do it alone, There's too. room for uh, one more.
3: All
2: right, <laughs> right. He's not opposed to it if someone wants to join him, but he's prepared to do it alone if necessary. I find
3: myself in that same spot. <laughs> yeah, that. Not with the five kids.
2: Yeah, right. Just so. <laughs> all right. Speaking of parenting, I want to run this by you guys, because I think this is really unfair, but I do feel for the schools, and I won't say which school, but um, my son, who's never gotten in a fight, but he's been hit twice at school just in the last year, middle school. He's eighth grade, and so he was um, hit on the bus last year out of the blue, um, and that kid was suspended from the bus for five days, and my son didn't hit him back because he was so stunned because he hit him in the back of the head um, as he was sitting in the bus, And then this um, other incident happened the other day. He was playing basketball at school and uh, it was just kind of like a one-on-one thing and he beat this young man at basketball and the kid was very angry and challenging my son repeatedly and cursing at him and kind of stalking him in the gym. There's two gyms, so on the video that you can... Um, that they saw at school you can see this kid following him from gym to gym and from different group to group as my son continued to say that he didn't want to fight and he didn't want to play again and then um, in the last part of the video you see the kid throwing punches at my son as he's backing up well then he ran out of room to back up and the kid um, cut his lip he punched him in the mouth Mm. and my son said mom I just went blank that second and I I punched him and put him in a headlock and um, then the teachers came over and broke it up. And so I got a call that said, that even though my son's an excellent student, doesn't m- miss school, has never provoked anyone or gotten into a physical altercation himself, um, that the mandatory uh, punishment for any child involved in a fight, and that means if someone's bullying you and they punch you and you punch back, um, the mandatory punishment is suspension for two days. and. Uh, so uh, they called to let me know he'd be suspended for two days. And I said, well, you know, he's, I don't, I don't mind if he gets, you know, after school um, uh, detention or lunchtime detention, but he's in advanced placement classes and they're very challenging. So I'd prefer he not miss two days of school. Is there any other punishment since this child obviously hit my kid first? And various uh, teachers and others in the school said they would have told their kid to do the same thing to." It's Mm self-defense, you know, and then he got him in the headlock. So I've made five phone calls, they explained the video, and I guess my son's big offense was not telling a teacher, you know, but you know the pressure when you're that age to run and tell a teacher and then you're made fun of for the rest of the school year for being, you know, a snitch and, you know, and a wimp for, you know, telling the teachers that you were going to get in a fight. So he was just trying to avoid it by avoiding the kid. Anyway, I don't know what happened to the kid because they don't tell you, but I understand through other kids in the school that he's gotten into lots of other physical altercations. And so I really felt it was unfair that this is mandatory and that they basically told me I had no no rights whatsoever to fight it, per se. So my co-host is like, well, I'd just sue him. I said, well, I could press charges against the kid because we have video. But I just felt it was a really unfair situation that my son was put in, that he had to miss school for two days. And right. it, ha- it starts the next day, so you don't have your homework or anything. Like, it starts immediately. And it's to send a message that you can't fight back. Like, if there's a fight, you're not allowed to fight back.
3: Mm. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's unfortunate when things like this happen. And, of course, uh, th- this happens every day in schools all across America. <sighs> I remember when I was... Uh, uh, performing my illusions, and I was going around to the schools, you know, talking about bullying in the schools, and uh, one particular school in Douglas County, I'll leave the the school and the principal out, but the principal looked at me and says, we don't have a problem with bullying in this school, and I said, no, you've got a problem with reality, yeah, you do, everybody, you know, we have to, but this is a conversation we have to deal with, and when there's no accountability to the actual solution, uh, it's tough, you know, what
2: what do you do as a parent? My son said he knew the second he hit him back that he'd be suspended, Mm. and he was obviously trying to avoid that. And he cried because, you know, he didn't want to be suspended, and he didn't want to get in a fight. and He didn't want to be put in that situation. So I just hope that this isn't a continuing problem with this kid. I don't know. We haven't seen the kid again. I keep asking my son, has he been back? I don't know. Maybe he's been expelled. Maybe he's been involved in so many of these things, you know, they're not allowed to tell you so I don't know what his punishment was but I know when he called his mom his mom was screaming at him so loud that my son heard it outside the Mm. office because I guess he gets in trouble so much she was pretty upset with him you know so who knows. Yikes. Yeah I know and I, I just I said to them so if my kid gets punched again and he puts the kid in a headlock then he'll be suspended again yep so if that happens 20 times if he's somebody's bullied at school and they're punched 20 times and they defend themselves. They're suspended each time. Yep.
3: So they want you to, to reach out to the teacher. Uh, you, they want your son to reach out to the teacher. So what if the uh, the boy goes and says, hey, this guy is chasing me around. He's calling me names. He's uh, threatening me physically. And the teacher doesn't stop it. Then if he puts him in a headlock, is he going to get... Uh... They
2: said it's in the code of conduct. That it's in the code of conduct if you retaliate, if you defend yourself, you will be suspended, period. Mm. There's no ifs, ands, or buts.
3: Reminds me of football, you know, or, or any of the sports these days. Uh, the, the first person to throw the punch is not the one that the referees uh, tend to notice. It's the guy who, who swings back.
2: Well, this mm-hmm. is interesting. I just got a text from my son. I normally don't, you know, I try to not look, but... Um, he's on honor roll, so Aww, I guess that he just great. got his certificate that he sent Aww, me, so Aww. I guess he, um, that's kind of a, a nice perk for him.
3: Way to go, really. Back yeah. from your
2: suspension and you get um, your honor roll certificate, so, you know, I guess it's just one of those things in school you have to deal with, unfortunately, whether it's fair or not, you know, it's kind of like life, it's, we, we, I know, my kids say, I know, it's not fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just seems so vulnerable to sit there and be bullied and just let them do it yeah right. and then That's don't doesn't that make you a target yeah oh speaking of which um this morning i was saying to my daughter um hey just make sure you're nice to all different groups you know of kids you can be friends with the athletes the kids that aren't cool and then um i'll make up a name for this kid he's picked on all the time it's so sad i mean they really prey upon this let's call him bart And she said, well, I did the other day um, when Bart was getting picked on again. I said, would you like to sit at our table? And he said yes. And generally he's told her no, you know, but he feels he can't trust anyone because he's picked on so much. This kid is bullied. It makes me cry to hear about the incidents of them surrounding him and picking on him and physically hurting him. And I said, did he come and join you? And uh, I, she said, yes, he came and sat at our table. I said, so you let him in your group? And she said, yeah, I did. And I said, that makes me so proud yeah. of you. You know, wow. to take, because you know, it's also vulnerable to take in the kid that's being bullied because it absolutely. kind of can make you a target. You, you know, you work with kids. Uh,
3: absolutely. I, I just did an assembly for another uh, elementary school last week in, uh, in Highlands Ranch. And it was all about, you know, they're, they're working through a core curriculum that the district is working through. And my program comes in and embraces that and, and tells the story from a different perspective, right? And uh, it, it does. If you uh, if you embrace somebody who is typically the subject of mockery, uh, it absolutely paints you with a target. The thing that I liked about the assembly that we did and the, the core curriculum that they're using is it talks to the entire student body about what it is to be a good friend
2: right, mm, like that's that. awesome. right
3: so we're going from a proactive yeah, instead of a reactive right. uh,
2: kind of a, a base seems like bullying is getting worse as I hear stories I don't ever remember
4: stories when I was growing up like that don't so. you think
2: the social media and all these like uh, the ways of reaching into the kids bedroom per se like they're at home alone when right. they would have normally been safe with their family mm-hmm. and then they're kind of preyed upon and the other thing I find interesting since we're such a close-knit family you know every night we did we had it last night we had family we have family workout night oh. and actually the odd little tie-in to the fight was that my husband had been teaching the girls and my son choke holds the night before mm. and so he used that the next day to hold the kid I thought it was pretty funny that sure. Faith came in and she's like I got hope she had to tap out You know, and I just (laughs) thought it was funny, this little 50-pound, 10-year-old Faith is like, I got hope to tap out. (laughs) And so um, I think (laughs) that the social media now reaches into their bedroom with mockery through Snapchat and other things and threats and bullying. And they can join in like a pack of wolves while this kid should be safe at home. But I think an interesting thing about our close-knit family is that my kids, none of them have started dating yet. And I know you're like dating. They're like 7th and 8th grade, so they're 14 and 12 and 10, right? Dating and But kinder- even in 5th grade, my daughter's friends have quote-unquote boyfriends, and I sure. know they just like have lunch together. But in 8th grade, they're having like actual kind of relationships, like meeting and going places sure. and things together. And my kids have not dated anyone. And it's, they're attractive children. It, it's not like they're, you know, ogres and they're not dating for that reason. I think it's because they're so secure at home that they're not looking for something to give them a sense of fulfillment. That they don't feel the need yet. Because my daughter goes, I'm too busy for that. Yeah.
3: Oh. Suzanne, you're a therapist. Do you see uh, kids actually reaching out for approval and or validation in places other if they're not getting at home?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think. you know, we wonder why the bullying is is even more prevalent. I think it's because these kids don't have a sense of love in their family and they're looking for it in all the wrong ways. Yeah, Yeah, they're getting attention. Negative attention is better than none at all.
2: Well, and that goes back to, um, you know, Christ fulfilling you. And that's a lot of what you talked about in Lost and Restored. Uh, Suzanne Simpson, give us the best place to find your book,
1: It's on Amazon and it's under Lost and Restored, Suzanne Simpson. Um, It's, uh, you know, there's reviews you can read. Uh, Most people have gotten some kind of breakthrough from reading the book. I love that. So I love that. Yeah. I do too that much. It's not just reading material. Yeah.
2: All right. Suzanne Simpson, Renewed Life Counseling, Rachel Maines, host here on this station and other Crawford stations. Uh, and then uh, give us your website as well, Rachel. Um, for the radio show, Cornercafe CornerCafeRadio.com. Corner and Eric? You can reach me at PRMediaCoach.com. And AngieAustinRadio.com. If you go there, you can write me an email, and I can forward it on to any guest you're interested in connecting with. We'll be right back with the good news.
4: There is so much fun stuff to do at the YMCA of the Rockies, you're never going to want to leave. Come fill your days and nights with our exciting programs and entertaining activities. At YMCA Snow Mountain Ranch, this fall you can join our Intro to Outdoor Skills Weekends. You can learn how to properly pack your backpack, learn orienteering skills, hone your rock climbing skills, and so much more. YMCA has made Snow Mountain Ranch the place where the entire family can adventure together. YMCA Snow Mountain Ranch is the ideal family vacation, located in a stunning environment that helps build healthy minds bodies and spirits for all at the ymca of the rockies we love to provide real bonding experiences for families of all sizes go to ymcarockies.org for fun exciting and affordable family adventures at ymca of the rockies book your stay at ymcarockies.org today
2: thanks so much for
1: joining us for this encore portion of the good news with Angie Austin
4: hello hello friends this is producer Dave I'm getting into really getting into some meaty topics lately it's been really nice I' I'm, I'm, this is the next installment of my author highlight series that I've been doing for the good news um, you know I get all these books I, I know all these PR people and I get a lot of books and I talk to a lot of different people authors and, and I want to share them all with all of you listeners, all of our good news listeners um, just because Angie doesn't have time to do all of them. so it's nice that, uh, that she's given me a little bit of time here that I can that I can do this. And today we're going to be talking about something. it's, uh, it's a very powerful subject. It's something that's affected a lot of us. Um, it's, uh, I mean, I don't know the, uh, statistics, but hopefully we'll get right into that. Um, but I'm talking about addiction and there's a lots of kinds of addiction. And today we'll be talking to Dr. Greg Jance, and he wrote a book called Healing the Scars of Addiction. How are you doing today, Dr. Jance?
6: I'm doing great. Such an important topic with the rise and all the addictions we hear about these days.
4: Right. And there's all sorts of things you wouldn't. I mean, a lot of people know drugs and alcohol, but there's more to it than that. And um, so and just to let you guys know, Dr. Jantz has been around for a long time. He's certified with chemical dependency counseling. He has been on TV a bunch of times. He's been on Dr. Phil. He started The Center, A Place for Hope, which is one of the best addiction facilities and depression facilities in the country. Am I right?
6: Well, we hope it is. (laughs) Right, right. right.
4: I mean, you help people, so that's good. That's got to be a good place to start absolutely so your book um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about where this book came from and why we why you think it's important for us to read
6: so you know the whole idea of addictions and healing from scars and we have you know the addictions is confusing term sometimes uh, these days of course maybe we think of alcohol which is a very real addiction but we have food addiction we've got uh secret addictions maybe it's pornography uh, perhaps it's a food addiction. But as we look at what do addictions have in common, and uh, this being over 30 years that we work with people who come to us from all over the country, they're coming in uh, desperate for help, depression, anxiety, and uh, addiction issues. Uh, this is uh, really well, what works? If I'm struggling with an addiction, what really works? And so that's that's what we do. And so we wanted to get out some some good news, you know, because we maybe you're living with somebody that's struggling with an addiction. It's like, what do I do? What is what is an right. addiction? What's really going on
4: here? I think that's one of the biggest problems, too, is when you care for somebody, too. A lot, uh, I know a lot of us here at the office are doing kind of a New Year's diet altogether, supporting each other. Yes. And, and food plays a lot into that addiction thing. But then you see these, the people, which, you know, the enabler type of people who are like, you know, you go out to the movies and they say, oh, you want an icy? And oh, no, I'm on a diet. Are you sure you don't want an icy? You're at the movies. You love icy at the movie. And it's because they want you to feel comfortable. They don't realize what kind of danger they're putting you in or, I mean, not always danger, but with an icy, but it's the same thing. If it's, you know, drugs and alcohol, or if it's, these other things that are kind of controlling your mind. And you
6: know what, here's what happens is addictions are subtle. They're sneaky. You know, it's like, well, nobody ever started off just to get to say, well, I want to be an addict. That's not where we start. (laughs) And I understand the struggle. Um, and the fear that can happen. Because one of the things that we know is that an addiction gets a stronghold in your life, and then we step into something a lot of times called denial. And the denial is, you know, I can handle this, it's no big deal, I'm not hurting anybody else, or I can stop at any time. So that's one of the things that we have to confront if we're struggling with an addiction.
4: Right, right. And so, so more than... Uh, uh, recognizing it in other people and seeing their behavior, but also recognizing it in yourself. If you're struggling with something, you have to be able to admit it to yourself.
6: Well, we do, and there's a point where, as you know, um, the power of an addiction and that stronghold is so powerful that people will do anything in order to get whatever the addiction is. And uh, that's the power of addiction.
4: Right, right, and you start doing dangerous things, or crazy things, or stupid things, and you, and that's kind of uh, it's taking over your your actions, and so you don't want to get into that. But so let's get into a little bit though, like modern day kind of. There's add- addictions kind of different than it used to be, um, just with the easy access to so many things. I mean, people are addicted to social media, and like you said, pornography, or all sorts of other things that may not necessarily physically kill you but it does it does affect your way that your life and is affecting your life in other ways right
6: oh yes uh, well we know addictions ultimately will uh destroy health people don't realize uh you know every if let's say it's alcohol uh what begins to happen in in our gut and failure to uh get the nutrients our body needs uh what begins to happen in the brain and uh... We, we just forget um, really what is going on uh... with an addiction uh... because of that strong denial and we just got to keep doing the addiction
4: right 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 and then one of the the biggest fuels of that that type of thing is kind of keeping it a secret i know you mentioned secrecy in your book and that's one of the biggest most dangerous things about addiction right
6: you know it really really is uh... Um, one of the things that we know is true is an addiction, the secrecy. Over time, it's like a ticking time bomb. We don't know what's going to happen always, but something's going to break physically, in my relationships, financially, lose a job, and you know it's terrible to see a loved one who is uh, in the stronghold of an addiction, and you go, what? What did I do? You know, and it could be, maybe it's a teenager and you're noticing the uh, the secrecy with uh, uh, gaming or digital addiction and uh, pornography addiction. And you're seeing something that's just robbing and taking the life from somebody.
4: Right, right. And it's dangerous. And you see them doing things that really uh, is just affecting their lives in many, many ways. I, I actually recently lost a friend last summer to alcohol addiction, and it was terrible. It's a terrible way to to go and to live your life. And he lived in so much secrecy, and it was so difficult. And it all seemed like it happened so, so all of a sudden to all of his friends. But he had been doing it yeah. in secret for so long that it was, you know, it was a shock to us. But he kind of saw it coming, and he didn't know what to do about it. Um, And, you know, something that he struggled with, too, is it was kind of a hereditary thing. uh, I know you talk about it a little bit. Well, not necessarily genetic. I don't know exactly how it works, but, you know, things like abuse and alcoholism and addictive personalities are kind of passed down. Why do you think that is? You think you'd see a bad example and not want to follow that? Well,
6: one of the things that um, happens is it's what we learned. And it can be powerful. Um, people who grow up in an addiction home learn uh, how to be codependent, learn how to be a co-addict, learn how to use substances. We don't learn uh, a healthy way to deal with uh, emotions of anger, fear, or guilt. We're in the bondage of of the addiction because it's what we know. We don't know a different way. So people learn it. We also know there's some genetic uh, influence, and we do see... Um, well, for example, alcoholism as it goes through different generations. So multiple reasons for that, but there's definitely a genetic influence or what we call propensity towards towards that.
4: So. Right, right. Well, that's that's very interesting. And but basically, the book is. I know we're talking about the dangers of addiction, but your book actually kind of helps people deal with that, whether they've been taught that or not. You can kind of learn it whenever, and there is a path to recovery.
6: Yes. There is a path to recovery, and, you know, here's the thing. Nobody's ever um, regretted getting well. I mean, you don't. But where the regret <laughs> is is that I don't do anything or I waited too long. If anything, and anybody hearing my voice, who uh, you know, and you're in a secret struggle. Uh, the biggest issue that we hear people say is I wish I wouldn't have waited so long. I wish um, I wouldn't have waited so long. And that's so important uh, that you don't live with that regret.
4: Right, right. Wow, that's such a powerful message. And, I mean, you know, the best time to do anything is right now. You know, just get up and do it. That's the only way it's going to ever get done. You can wish and hope all you want, but until you actually take action, it's not going to ever happen. Yeah. Um, and, and, And so... To the people out there that are struggling, that are trying to imagine what their life will be like post-addiction, what do you tell those people? Is it possible to live a healthy, normal life after addiction?
6: It is. And some people um, may say, you know what, my life radically changed, uh, and I had to learn maybe new relationships. I had to learn uh, a new way of dealing with emotions. So what we know is it's worth it, and I'm going to just say it's hard work to change this, no matter what kind of addiction, but you won't regret it. You'll be so glad you did.
4: Right. That was going to be my next question is that it's not an easy journey, and it's always hard. I know uh, several people who are recovering alcoholics, which is very nice to see them, but uh, they've expressed to me that there's this, this emptiness that's always pulling them toward, even if it's been years... Since their last drink, it kind of pulls them towards it and it's a uh, constant struggle, but there is a way to get past that and actually feel better, right? That's right. That's right. Well, that's good. That's great. Um, and so uh, tell us a little bit more uh, about your book and um, uh, is there anything that you can tell us, like tips and tricks, to be able to maybe recognize somebody in your life that may be having a problem and how to? Approach them, or if there's a problem with your own life, and like admit it to yourself. And where do you go for help? Sure.
6: Well, one of the things um, that we know is an addiction. We want to keep it secret. We want to isolate. We don't want to tell anybody. And so, if I'm rationalizing, and I, I'm doing this, you know, first thing we need to go is okay. It's time to time to tell the truth. And too often, there's been shame connected with an addiction. And what I want to just voice out is say, you know what, it's not about shame. Uh, Nobody started off to want to be an addict, um, but it's about getting to the core issues. Um, Has there been trauma? Has there been something that's happened in your life that um, you need help uh, resolving or healing uh, as a part of recovery from the addiction? So um, there's also what I call accidental addiction. Uh, Maybe you were prescribed an opiate, a pain pill, uh, for an injury or surgery, and uh, now you uh, are feeling that you can't live without it and and you've become addicted. And It was an accidental addiction uh, that happened. So we need to really look at what is um, the core issues and uh, get beyond blame. Uh, You know, this new year can be a new year of really walking in freedom, and you'll be very glad. So, you know, as good as my book is, <laughs> and, I, you know, this, I've written over 30 books, as good as the book is, it's not the, it's not the total solution. Uh, it's a place to start. But I'm going to have to tell you, a person, you got to do the next step, and that is I've got to ask for help. And, um, you know, God is with us. God will bless those efforts. But let's ask for help.
4: Right, it's so important to be, to to get that support because, uh, you know, some of these addictions are so powerful, and you know, even just chemically, they're so powerful that you literally cannot stop without help. Right. That's right. That's right. Right, and then, uh, but then, and I just want to emphasize too, uh, you know, a lot of people look at there's like a different tiers of addiction. You know, there's heroin and cocaine or something, and then there's alcohol and. Um, I don't know other things but then there's you know those affect your body literally chemically they can kill you if you take too much of any of them but you really can't die from too much Facebook or too much porn hub right (laughs) however it is still very dangerous can you kind of go into why that's dangerous And what kinds of effects that can have on your everyday life, especially, you know, like you said, it starts with, I'm just going to try this once, and next thing you know, it grows to this whole other thing, and you're dependent on it.
6: That's right. And you're dependent upon it. So um, today can be a day of decision. Uh, Hearing my voice, uh, you can reach out, um, and it can be a day of decision. That's what I mean today. Get out of denial. Today, get out of rationalization. Today, care enough for yourself or a loved one that you say, I'm going to make a decision today. I'm going to get more information. I'm going to do something because I am going to live my life differently. And also, um, we need to remember all addictions rob us of joy. They rob us of peace. And they rob us of intimacy and closeness in relationships.
4: Because you're constantly thinking about what the next part of that addiction or next thing you're going to do. Rather than living in the moment and doing anything, right? Yep. Right. Okay. right. Wow. Well, I mean, this is a really important topic. I know there's a lot of people out there struggling in silence, and, um, you know, a lot of people think it's secret when it's really not. And, it's you know, you may want to say something to somebody. And as somebody who's addicted, if you know somebody who's addicted and you go talk to them, it's not going to be an easy conversation. It's they're going to get angry at you and they're going to think that you're turning on them and they're going to think that you're doing all these things when you're really trying to help. But really, the only thing, the only way that you're really hurting them is by not saying anything. That's right.
6: That's right.
4: So, I mean, it's really important. You know, you got to admit it to yourself, got to help your family and, uh, Dr. Greg, why, you can you tell us where we can get this book and uh, where we can follow you for future things, um, whatever else you're doing in the future?
6: Sure, absolutely. Um, one of the things that you can do, the book should be available at your favorite retailer, Christian retailer, Amazon, or um, even to take a free survey, go to aplaceofhope.com. A place
4: Aplaceofhope.com. It's one of the best recovery centers in the country. Um, They help each. They help people every single day, Um, and it's it's everything from depression and anxiety to drug addiction to alcohol addiction to pornography addiction to social media computer addiction, um, all that stuff. And you can break these bonds and you can get past it, and uh, and with people like Dr. Greg Jantz out there. And, you know, I mean, this, the healing the scars of addiction is a really great place to start. If you read this book, then you'll, then you'll at least have an idea of where you stand and what you should do next.
6: Yep, you can do this.
4: Yes, you can do this. And it, it, it's not an easy road. It's, it's rocky, but there is an end goal. There is a place, there is a life after addiction.
6: There you go. Thank
4: you. Great. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Gregg, for being here. And um, I hope everybody go pay attention to your loved ones and and be out there and go read this book. And maybe it'll give you some really good ideas on how to approach those people that you love or how to really admit to yourself that you have a problem.
6: That's right. Thank you.
4: Well, you have a great day, and uh, we'll talk to you later.
6: You got it. Thanks for having me today.
4: Okay, well, this has been Producer Dave. Uh, this, I hope you really liked that one. I thought it was pretty good. And um, stay tuned, we'll be right back.
2: Hey, Angie Austin here with the good news. And the good news is I have one of the ARC ambassadors here with me, Christopher Petty. Hi, my
5: name is uh, Chris. I have worked at the ARC for four or five years. Shopping with the purpose means giving back, and it really helps people like me. I like working at ARC because it's the people and it's the employees, and you you don't have to try to impress anyone, just be yourself, and just come in and just do your best, and just be yourself.
2: I love him. I do, too. (laughs) (laughs) Keep going.
5: And uh, I just, I do my best. You know, I go in there and I give it my best and I have a good time. And you're
2: proud of the work you do? I'm proud of the work I do, Give giving and back. The heart of ARC is so wonderful. It's important to shop at ARC because you know, it is shopping with a purpose. I say that a lot. And when you donate things, it goes back to help our community and people just like Chris, who has a wonderful job with ARC as an ambassador. 303-238-JANE, 303-238-JANE or ARCthrift.org, ARCthrift.org. Hey, I'm Chris. I love working at ARC. Hey, it's Angie. Did you know that worldwide, one in every 33 babies is born with a birth defect? I had to read that over again. One in every 33 babies worldwide is born with a birth defect now fetal surgery as you know can save and improve the lives of thousands of children so the baby's not even born yet and the baby's having surgery joining us is dr scott adzik the surgeon-in-chief at children's hospital of philadelphia and i have to admit dr adzik when i saw that you were on my interview schedule i was excited because i think your work is fascinating but also you've talked about you know how it's impacted you as a surgeon to see these kids as adults later throwing the football and at the get-togethers you guys have and how that's had such a profound impact on you as a person as well welcome
5: well, thank you very much for your warm welcome, Angie.
2: You're welcome. Let's talk about how many uh, babies are born with birth defects.
5: Well, so let's let's start with the math. So as you mentioned, one in every 33 babies is born with a birth defect. So in the U.S., that translates to about 150,000 babies born each year with a birth defect. And many have conditions that are so rare that um, most parents and even some clinicians have never heard of them. So too often, these families aren't made aware of the treatments available at a place like our Center for Pedal Diagnosis and Treatment. And I think the families are feeling overwhelmed with few options. So if you do the math, one in 33, so common, uh, birth defects are very costly. Literally billions of dollars are required for medical treatment. Defects are merciless. No parent is immune. They're mysterious. Unfortunately, most causes of the birth defects are unknown. In my view, they're overlooked. Research is underfunded. And birth defects are deadly. They're the leading cause of infant mortality.
2: Now, in terms of the types of conditions that can be helped by having surgery while the baby is in the womb. I want to talk about that. And just the fact that these poor parents don't even know that this is a possibility in many cases is unbelievable to me in this day and age. So what what types of situations can you help?
5: Well, first of all, with regard to diagnosis, I think uh, it's pretty routine nationwide in, in the U.S. for pregnant mothers to have an ultrasound done at 18 to 20 weeks gestation. Mm-hmm. And at that time, most anatomic birth defects can be detected. And if you need more information, then uh, fetal MRI, you can actually do etal M- MRI. We developed it here at CHOP 20 years ago. can be done to give additional information. In addition, with regard to diagnosis, you all, you, you know about amniocentesis and chorionic villus sampling. But now there's a non-invasive prenatal testing, NIPT for short, in which literally uh, early in pregnancy, uh, the mother can have a blood sample drawn. Fetal cells and fetal DNA leak across the placenta into the maternal bloodstream. Fetal DNA and fetal cells can be done now, and one can have genetic testing merely on a mother's blood sample. Wow. So that's revolutionary in terms of diagnosis. The things we treat before birth, to put it in perspective, so we've had our center here since 1995, so almost uh, 24 years, and uh, we've had over 23,000 prenatal referrals from all 50 states, and for more than a our referrals, need to have fetal therapy. So that's an important perspective. Many mothers carrying babies with birth defects can actually deliver the baby here at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia in our Garbo's Family Special Delivery Unit and be treated after birth. So why would you want to treat a condition before birth? Well, there are certain life-threatening birth defects in which there's aggressive damage before birth such that when the baby is born we're too late lung tumors that are so big they squish the developing heart and cause heart failure tumors that develop off the tailbone with the same effect problems like twin-twin transfusion syndrome where there are identical twins in one uterus separate amniotic sacs one shared placenta as opposed to two placentas one for each baby and there's abnormal unpaired blood vessels that go from one side of the placenta to the other side and one baby gets too much blood develops too much amniotic fluid and the, the other baby doesn't get enough blood and goes into kidney failure and doesn't produce amniotic fluid, which is mostly fetal urine, and becomes stuck and wrapped in the mem- membranes, and both twins will go on to die unless one does fetoscopy, like laparoscopy, but with a 2-millimeter in diameter scope. Touch that through the mother's abdominal wall, through the uterine wall, look into the uterus, find the abnormal blood vessels in the placenta, and then occlude or photocoagulate them with the laser fiber. So we do that sort of operation two to three times a week, and you can transform a almost uniformly fatal diagnosis into 90% plus of babies.
2: That is fascinating unbelievable. It's fascinating to me that things like um, that we hear about people terminating pregnancies for like in some countries like a cleft palate or club foot or these things that aren't even deadly. You're talking about things that would actually kill the baby if you did not fix them in the womb prior to them being born. It's unbelievable.
5: That's correct. So, and as far as spina bifida goes, we do um, treat uh, more severe cases than the one that you described that go higher on the spine, and what occurs with spina bifida is that the, the coverings of the spinal cord are not there, and the larger, longer that spina bifida is, and the higher it goes on the spinal cord, m- more nerves are affected, and they're affected by amniotic fluid, fetal urine, that is very toxic to those nerves, particularly during the third trimester. So that, in, in turn, led to the rationale of not truly a life or death birth defect but one that's devastating the higher it is for us to treat that before birth by doing an operation.
2: Unbelievable. Now you know I always like to ask you about some of the satisfying results of your work you know when you see these kids later talk a little bit about that.
5: We have a a fetal family uh, reunion we call it each June usually the first Sunday in June in which we invite patients who have been through our program to come back to see us and last last year uh, we had over 2,000 people there and we also have reunions, um, uh, for instance, patients from all around the U.S. We've had them in uh, Clearwater, Florida, in Washington, D.C., at the New museum, in Cleveland, uh, at the Cleveland Botanical Garden, at Chicago, in the zoo, so on and so forth. And it's just so truly inspiring to see so many children who maybe as likely could have died now running around and growing up healthy and strong. I mean, it's the best thing ever.
2: I would agree. I would agree. Thank you so much, Dr. Isaac. How do we um, get more information?
5: Well, your listeners can uh, go to our website. Uh, and for fetal surgery, it's uh, fetal surgery is one word, fetal C-H-O-P dot E-D-U. So fetal surgery.chop.edu.
2: Thank you, doctor. Always a pleasure.
1: Thanks for listening to The Good News with Angie Austin. Find the podcast of past shows at AngieAustinRadio.com.
0: Plus.